Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm John. And you're listening to Parenthetical. Today we're doing four reviews, two documentaries, Crumb and The Cave of Forgotten Dreams, and two comedy dramas, Housekeeping and Ruby Sparks. Our first film today is Crumb. Crumb is a documentary directed by Terry Zwigoff about the underground cartoonist Robert Crumb, famous for his characters Fritz of the Cat and Mr. Natural, among others. It gives us a view of his and some of his immediate family's lives, letting us see where he draws his inspiration from. When I listen to old music, it's one of the few times I actually have a kind of a love for humanity. You hear the best part of the soul of the common people, you know, that they're their way of expressing their connection to eternity or whatever you want to call it. Modern music doesn't have that calamitous loss that people can't express themselves that way anymore, you know. So Crumb is right up my alley because something that always, that I always really respond to is I love a movie that's funny at first and you're laughing sort of at, sort of with the characters and it organically gets kind of disturbing and you feel a little bad for laughing. But it stays funny, I think. It stays funny, but it gets... But you're more uncomfortable laughing. At least I was more uncomfortable laughing. Crumb, when he's looking at his family, he also is laughing and I think it becomes uncomfortable for us to laugh when we notice that he himself is laughing and distancing himself from his family like that because they're really... It's an interesting sensation to be laughing and then see that he's laughing and be like, why is he laughing? (laughs) (laughs) And then you think maybe I shouldn't be laughing either. Yeah. Something the movie I thought did really well was the way it ordered its footage. It was basically this movie is one where it's completely the, the documentarian doesn't speak at all. He just records. He completely removes himself. And it's only through ordering the footage that meaning comes through in the movie and it does it really well a lot of the times where it will either like show something that um will give you the seeds of oh he's kind of acting weird for instance crumb obviously holds some racist values and you see him acting strange i'm not sure i would even use the word values yeah (laughs) a little racist (laughs) You see him acting like this a little bit early on in the movie and you kind of brush it off. But then later on, it turns out, oh, he's racist. Um, and it kind of it builds that through how it orders the footage. I agree totally. I think it's really expertly put together in that it reveals things so precisely that you're not surprised when they're officially revealed, but that it's still an exciting development in the story yeah it was so it so carefully gave me knowledge that i didn't even know i was acquiring as i was watching it yeah that i knew i mean i knew what the at the end of documentaries there's the standard kind of catching you up to the current date with text and i knew what the last text revelation was going to say before it came on screen because it's so carefully integrated information into the movie yeah. It was really impressive. I liked Crumb himself was a, he's just like a walking contradiction, basically. One of the ways it orders the fo- the footage like this is 
the movie starts with him making a joke, but you know, is it really a joke? He's he's joking to an audience slash complaining about how he didn't get a bunch of money for this comic he wrote. You know, he says that he wrote this comic and somebody picked it up and um, sold it in this magazine. He didn't see a dime of it. And he's consistently talking about the money he's making from his comics and he goes and buys them and sells them and stuff. But he also complains about capitalism and how anyone will do anything for a buck. You know, oh, yeah. and he has he has some values where he doesn't want to go to Hollywood and stuff like that. But he's not completely innocent. He's um, well, he's not at all innocent. <laughs> I don't think that's a, an adjective I would ever apply to this man. It's not easy to make a likable movie about unlikable people. Um, Crumb is the main character, and I don't like him very much. But I was interested to learn his story still. I liked him. He's, John, he's he's a racist, pretty much unapologetically racist. He unapologetically talks about his hostility towards women. But that gives us a lot of, there's a lot of good scenes with his ex-wives and stuff. I don't know how they got so many of these. Yeah, the, his, speaking with his friends and ex uh, people who used to be in relationships with him and everything was really interesting. I think those are the best parts is when you see how they and it would it would set them up the same way. They would start reacting and you they would do the start and you could tell it was all the same interview. But at the beginning of the interview they'd be singing his praises about he's cool and then they'd be like, Yeah, and then I saw like this comic. Yeah, you'd see there how they felt about crumb developing. Because the first thing you see is the genius or whatever. And that's something that I think is always an interesting exploration is for somebody to truly be avant-garde or an artist that does things that are not derivative, it means that they have to think completely differently from other people. And that generally does not uh, manifest itself into like a cool guy. <laughs> yeah. Um. So it's interesting looking at the, is he a genius? Is he kind of a jerk is he both are those mutually exclusive it's really cool so let's let's go ahead and write it okay i will give it i was entertained the whole time uh, in a in a i give it an a it was it was good um yeah it was good yeah all right next we're going to talk about ruby sparks and Ruby Sparks, directed by Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris, follows struggling author Calvin as he discovers that the perfect woman he has been writing has come to life and is in a relationship with him. Calvin is initially overjoyed, but quickly realizes that having the power to write his girlfriend's emotions is a slippery slope. What's your dog's name? Scotty. I named him for F. Scott Fitzgerald. Who? F. Scott Fitzgerald. The novelist. I don't read a lot of fiction. Oh, he's probably one of the greatest novelists who ever lived. Naming your dog after him, it's a little disrespectful. No, it's a gesture. Yeah, an aggressive gesture. Think about it. You're a novelist. Do you think this guy's the greatest? So you name your dog after him to cut him down to size. Kill your idols, man. I'm all for it. So I was initially drawn to this movie because it's directed by a couple and stars a real life couple and is written by that that being Paul Dano and Zoe Kazan 
and is written by Zoe, so one half of that relationship. So I was going into it expecting kind of a, a more nuanced look at a relationship than a lot of romantic comedies offer. And I wasn't disappointed on that front. The exploration of never really being able to know another person and how challenging that can make a relationship is really interesting. And it's not a theme that I see a lot in movies. And this movie goes to the very extreme of how well could you possibly know a person being if you wrote them and still he doesn't know her. And I really like that element. What do you mean? What, <laughs> what do I mean about what part? Well, I don't understand what you think the movie's about. It's, well, it's that's not all it's about, but a big section of it that I appreciated is he does not understand her even though he wrote her. Mm-hmm. He could never write enough words to be able to inhabit in the independent mind of another human being. So even though he says, you know, when she starts uh, acting a way that's non, not desirable, he changes the writing, but he can't predict how that will manifest itself because you cannot know another person, so you can't control another person because they're unpredictable. Yeah, I always like... I like magical realist films or magical films or what I have you and something. First of all, I want to applaud this movie for not taking a shortcut out. She's, she's actually, as far as I can tell is like actually the character that he wrote. It's not like a dream. It's not like he's crazy. She's actually there. That's a good point. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, but in terms of its allegory, and the meaning it tried to draw from that. I think it did try to say something, but I think it didn't say whatever it was trying to say because I didn't really get anything like you're getting from it. Is that the movie's fault? Yes. (laughs) I got something out of it. I don't know if that's what the writers were trying to get you to think, though, or the director was trying to get you to think. That if you... I mean, the scene, there's a scene... That or, it's to uh, to be in a successful relationship, you have to relinquish in a certain amount of control because it's being with someone you'll become, never understand. But the thing is, they don't become... They're not in a successful relationship after he relinquishes control, right? Well, this is an interest. I mean, I'm not... A hard thing to answer because, one, it does end on a happy note mm. involving the two of them. But I actually think that that's kind of a weak part of the movie. I didn't really like the, the ending. ending, right? Yeah. yeah, that's that's the thing for me. It's just the ending. Just I didn't like the ending because the relationship can still only grow out of deceit. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's doomed. Period. And they're just going to repeat the cycle or whatever. Maybe that's the point, but I don't think it is. It painted it happier than that. Everything else, though, I enjoyed. I thought the the chemistry between them was obviously good. I guess. Hey, that's not a given. And on screen, yeah. and, and a real couple doesn't necessarily have chemistry on screen. And one of my favorite things about this movie was especially Paul Dano's character. Yeah. Um, he had a personality which I don't really see in movies that often or ever, and he did it really well. It's um, he wants to be with Ruby, and he always wants to be with Ruby. And always, every time, as soon as he is with her, he wants to not be with her and be a recluse again because he wants to be alone at the same time. And so he keeps, I think it does it two or three times where he gets with her, he doesn't want to be with her, and then he gets jealous and he writes and they get her back and it goes like that. 
And it's a really interesting psyche for that character, I think. And I didn't really expect it from this movie. Yeah. Um, but I, re- so I really like that. But overall, just the ending payoff was not there, I think, for either of us. No, the ending was not not su- super strong. And the climactic scene was good, but also a little frustrating for me. There's a, a, a scene where the realities of what he's doing are it put in your face. And I w- it toes the line of being a really uncomfortable scene, but I think it needed to be more so. I think it needed to be, like, more showing the total humiliation of her being under his control. It didn't go far enough for me. Yeah, it was kind of... it that, that, that I think some of this movie, maybe because of the directors, I think it was a little too lighthearted mm. at some parts of it where it needed to be darker. Yeah, it could have been really across. subversive, yeah. but the climactic scene and the ending chickened out a little bit. So do you want to give it a rating? Um, I will give it a B because I really enjoyed the performances. I think Paul Dano's character is really great. I was going to give it a C until I remembered Dano's character. And I think just the fact that his character is in here and is a really unique character that I probably have never seen. I give it a B as well. I'm surprised. I didn't think you liked it as much as me. I, I, no, I don't. It's, it's, it's just because of Paul Dano's character. Next, we are looking at The Cave of Forgotten Dreams, directed by Werner Herzog. In it, Herzog takes us on a tour of the Chauvet Cave in France, which is home to cave paintings, some of which are over 30,000 years old. He also shows us various human artifacts, which date even older. You see? Yeah. This is a... A cave bear painted in black. The paintings looked so fresh that there were initial doubts about their authenticity. But this picture has a layer of calcite and concretions over it that take thousands of years to grow. This was the first proof that it was not a forgery. Now, first of all, I'll say that we did not watch this in 3D, which is actually it was filmed in 3D. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, and it's the only thing Herzog ever has filmed in 3D and he's never going to do it again. I don't know if it's that important. (laughs) Did he say that or? Yes. Wow. So this movie, it's good. What else can you say about a Herzog movie? It's. I mean, I have plenty to say about this Herzog movie and not a lot of it is compliments. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Um, so it started out with Werner... It started out with him being way too preoccupied with explaining the constraints of the shoot. He he's been like I thought five that was funny. minutes. I, I mean, like it was it's, funny. It's, it's, I like that Herzog. He's like he's embarrassed a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it shows. I don't know. I um, Herzog has always made really personal films, and I really like that aspect of his movies. It's cool that it's personal, but I think there's especially right at the beginning when we're first going into the cave instead mm. of setting a tone of reverence or this quiet, you know, spirituality that must be resonating in this cave. He's like, we can only bring this many lights and not a professional camera and we couldn't step off of this thing so the camera people can't get out of the shot. And I was like, why are you telling me all this right now? Maybe a little more into it, it would have been okay. But I thought to set the tone, it was not great. 
And I'm a Herzog fan, particularly his documentaries, but uh, I thought in this case, most of the interest came from the subject matter and not from the filmmaking. I like that he covered the... He's, I like that he covered the technology aspects of it, like he would talk to um, the scientists who are working on some of the stuff and showed us some of the scientific techniques that they were doing. I thought that was really cool. Although I kind of agree, you know, a lot of it was just kind of putting a camera down in this cave. At the same time, you know, it's meaningful in itself that I think Herzog is the only filmmaker they're ever going to allow to step into that place. That is cool. This is the only reason we're seeing it is because Herzog is Herzog. You know, we wouldn't have got to that's see it otherwise. True. So I think that's that's yeah, that's like cool. an unspoken element in it is that only Werner Herzog <laughs> could have gotten in the cave and, and shown it to us. But I think that I would have had the same reactions to, oh, wow, that's really cool. Wow, look at that. It's cool what these people are doing. If it was like a 30 minute PBS special about the cave. Something that he tried to do that I think he did fail at is he's talking about. I First of all, I didn't get. The Cave of Forgotten Dreams. Why is it called that? Yeah. It's, you know, it's about, it's talking about, and he, he tries to put it in a little bit. I don't know if he completely succeeds where his Cave of Forgotten Dreams, I what Herzog is interested in is what the people who were there wanted, because that's what art reveals about the human soul is our desires and things like that. And he tried to connect that to the present people by he would ask the interviewees, what did you do before you were a scientist and stuff like that. And I think that's one of the ways he tried to connect up the themes of the people in the cave or the from 30,000 years ago and the scientists of today. You know, they couldn't be more different, but the cave paintings reveal what they're interested in and. The scientists also have a story to say what they're interested in. Because not just science, but their art, which is their science, is providing a window into their desires and the human soul and stuff like that. Again, I think that's what he was going for. I don't know if he completely succeeded in that. I think anything that tried to go outside of, for instance, what you would see in like a 30-minute little feature... Anything that became, you know, Herzog artistic about it, trying to develop more meaningful themes, I think was a swing and a miss. Um, it gets, it just gets completely in the weeds when he starts talking about, are we really just mutated albino crocodiles looking backward into the abyss of time? <laughs> I need to watch it again. I I don't know. That's it's it gets a little too high level at that point, and I think he loses it. He loses something. (laughs) Something is lost in translation for what he was trying to say. I know, but what I've always loved about Herzog is you can. He's not. He's not fooling you. He's not trying to pull one over your head or something. You know, that's true. He's just saying what he wants to say. Yeah, he and he even if it doesn't completely makes sense to me or you now yeah he wanted to do it and he did it (laughs) and um it was completely exactly what he wanted to do and you know so the uh, so if you want to we can talk briefly i thought the cave paintings themselves are very cool awesome i think um it's definitely worth watching like i said you're not gonna get yeah this footage from anybody else but i think it's too long 
at an hour and 30 minutes? Or yeah, I thought it dragged. Minutes? Um, He kind of, yeah, you know, he repeats. He does, he kind of goes through the cave twice. I don't know. I, you know, There's he, he, the beginning characters. part he goes through with the worse camera. And then the second half, he's going through the cave again with a better camera. And um, maybe if he just had the second half, it would yeah. have been a stronger film. Because like you said, the first half is almost irrelevant because if he had just stuck to the to the featurettes talking to the people in the first half mm. and just removed the cave footage from that, maybe it would have been better. For some reason, he really... I think Herzog is really interested in showing us his journey. I think he thinks that's part of the documentary is the journey. Like in that Antarctic movie, you know, he has the footage of him like flying to the, I can't remember if it's the North or the South Pole, but he has like footage of him flying there, you know, like in the helicopter and stuff. So for him, I think the journey to these places is part of the experience of the documentary. Maybe it's a little bit of a weaker movie because of that, but do you want to give it a rating? I give it a C for cave Well, I give it an A. An A. Yep. I I I'm a big fan of Werner Herzog. I was gonna it's say good you're footage. Herzog fanboy, I think. It's good footage. And like I said, he's I just like I like directors that don't mess with you. And Herzog is completely honest in everything he does. So I respect that. The last film we're gonna talk about tonight is housekeeping. Housekeeping, directed by Bill Forsyth, is a story set in the 1950s about two sisters and their differing reactions to moving in with their bizarre aunt after losing their mother. The boat's not where I left it. Well, we're just going to have to look for it. Sometimes it takes a while, but I always find it. Let's try over there. Sometimes it's covered with branches. Oh, there it is. Boy, someone sure went to a lot of trouble. There's a man yelling at us. Oh, I know. You're back at me, Eddie. Eddie, you got back there. Eddie, come on back. He always does. He thinks someone's watching him. He just carries on even more. So the first thing I noticed about housekeeping, and it initially really got my full attention. Uh, sometimes it takes a little while for me to get into a movie. But this movie was so self-assured in its tone, I guess. I immediately was where I it, it wanted me to be, I think. And the first thing that I noticed is that it's blue. It's a little blue color balance wise all of the whites are a little blue and I think that that's perfect because while blue is kind of a calm bright color it's also a little sad and a little cold mm. and I think that's exactly like this movie this movie had great direction yeah I think all the way through how the actors were acting how the kids were acting the tone of every scene I think it was perfect. Yeah. Very rarely does this happen, but there's a scene later on in the movie where there's um, the aunt and one of the girls on a boat, and it's really serene, and I was sitting there thinking, wow, this is an incredibly serene scene. I could fall asleep right now. It's just so peaceful and happy. Yeah. And later on, it turns out that scene was 100% supposed to make me feel like that. It was yeah. supposed, you know, so a very good scene and it's just really, incredible direction all the way through. It's a really transportative 
movie. It's yeah. beca- it's so naturalistic that you feel like you can feel the cold. You can smell, you know, rainy mm. ground. The acting is naturalistic. The lighting is naturalistic. It's the, I mean, it, if you're can't sleep and you're up late at night or you wake up early and the sun hasn't risen yet and you have like a hot drink, this is just a perfect movie to accompany that feel, I think. Mm. And that, that, um, that sort of, I would say that naturalistic direction like that lends to the movie feeling grounded, right? Explain to me what you mean by grounded. Grounded as in real. Yeah. Right? Like it feels like it's a real place, real time. Yes. And then the aunt character is so surreal, you know, she's, um, she acts completely, I wouldn't say inhuman. <laughs> no, I don't think that's the right phrasing. <laughs> but definitely, um, bizarre. Kind of transcendent. Yeah. And I think be you know it wouldn't work if this movie had a different tone. It has the the this the surrounding has to be so real, yeah, to make the aunt's bizarreness really, yeah, shine, st- yeah, stand out. Now, what um the the two girls in this movie, just like in Ruby Sparks, both the girls in this movie had a character that have actually all all the characters in this movie. Then characters are all incredibly well written. Yeah. And the two girls especially had characters that I had not, I, I don't think I've ever seen before in a movie. It's because they were, were real people. They were showing personalities and emotions that you really, really rarely see in a movie. There's nothing trite in this movie, no stereotypes. Yeah. One of the girls is very, um, she's, a, so the the aunt, the way the two girls react to the aunt being there is one of the girls becomes very annoyed at the aunt's bizarreness and one of the girls kind of recedes into that and, and takes on mm-hmm. the aunt's bizarreness. And it makes for some really good scenes where they're trying to figure out exactly how to react to it each. I think the structure of this movie is really cool because it's kind of, it's got an almost non-linear quality, even though it's completely linear because there's a set of sisters in the mom and the aunt. And then there's a set of sisters who are who are in the present with right now, but who clearly one is like the mom and one is like the aunt as the story goes on. And so it's got this really cool quality of looking at the sister's present is like looking at the past of the mom and the aunt mm-hmm. and looking at the mom and the aunt's present is like looking at the future of the little girls, which gives it um, a bit of a melancholy feel because you know what might happen to the girls. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's really, it's beautiful. Talking about this movie structure, I thought this movie, um, it started out good, you know, but it really builds up and builds up and builds up right up to the very end. And the last 20 minutes are really great. It just like elevated the movie for me. Yeah, the ending was really good. It Not a lot of movies, when there's that fade out, do you just so strongly feel a, a, a concentrated emotion. It was silence. And mood. It's really good. I don't really, you know, it's when you get put into a movie, it's really great. And something this movie does, what it's really about is, you know, the aunt acts strange um, and the town gets... Very, very annoying trying to bother her to see what's wrong with her and stuff. And I really felt like the whole town was like a pesky fly. (laughs) (laughs) I think 
that this is a an interesting. It's not a depiction of antisocial that I've ever seen before. Yeah, because there's the, there's two women in it. One of the sisters and the aunt who are very antisocial, but it doesn't have any of the negative connotations that you. I guess I, maybe I should say introverted instead of antisocial. Yeah. Um, because it doesn't have any of the negative connotations that usually accompany kind of hermit characters in movies. It just puts you in her shoes of why why can't these people leave me alone and let me do things like I want to do them? Do you want to give it a rating? An A. An A for me as well. An unabashed A. So that's the show. At the top of the movies tonight, we have Crumb and Housekeeping, both of which got A's from both of us. After that, we have Ruby Sparks, which was a little shaky, but it got a B from us both. Next, we have The Cave Forgotten Dreams, which we are split on. I gave it an A, and Amanda gave it a C. We'll see you next time. We've got some movies to watch. Mm-hmm.